0: It's such a privilege to be here uh, today, and Mark is right. In fact, my wife and I, in 2007, we moved into a house. Like, literally, if you walked um, just 300 meters down the road, it was in a house here in Century City. And uh, my story was one where I grew up on a, in a farm in the southwest corner of KZN. It was dairy farm, idyllic childhood, and then I went to boarding school. And in boarding school, I found pornography, and then I went to university and I found alcohol. And I also met the woman who would become my wife. But I lived a very broken life until 2007, the same year that we moved into this house when my dad passed away from cancer, and that was a turning point, a shift moment in my life. And he was a radical preacher, so when I was young. What had happened is seeds of the gospel had been planted into my heart, but they hadn't grown. They were just kind of sitting dormant there. And I don't know if you know this, but seeds can lie dormant for up to uh, hundreds or hundreds of years. In fact, the elder seeds that have been found, it comes from the time of Jesus. And the scientists have actually begun to grow and cultivate them after they've discovered them. So seeds can lie dormant for an, a, a whole lot of years. And in that year that when my father passed away, we were living here and some friends started to invite us to go to church. And the church was something that was far from us because we were far from God. So we would kind of go reluctantly and we would come in kind of late and sit in the back row, nothing against you guys in the back row. Uh, but then as the service finished, we would head out because we thought, you know, the church just wants your money. Um, so we weren't really interested in, in being part of the community. And then... As time progressed, we thought, well, we're young and we're married, and we want to take care of our future, so we wanted to buy a property. But if this was the moment when Century City was beginning to take off, so the prices were beginning to skyrocket, so we couldn't afford to buy a place where we were staying. So what we did is we looked a little further afield, and we actually bought a house on the West Coast. And this was our first property, and uh, it was this little white house um, up in Saldana Bay. And we were so excited to be landowners, and the plan was that we were um, going to rent this house out. So the first weekend when the transfer came through, we decided let's jump in a car and take our camping gear and some friends and go and stay in our house. So we went up the coast, and we packed out all the camping gear. And we had a, a great weekend, Friday night, Saturday night. And then early on Sunday morning, as, as we were kind of waking up, we heard our friends packing up. And we wondered, like, oh, my goodness, did we do something to offend them? Like, what happened? And, and we kind of went through into the living area, and they were busy packing all their things. And they said, this thing which has always stuck with me, we're going back to church now. Didn't we tell you we had to leave early on Sunday morning? And Amy and I were like, What? That is crazy. You guys are going to drive 90 minutes to get back to church because you're serving at church. Like, that is weird. And they drove off, and they went back, and we went to the, the PM service because there was also one of those in the church that we were at, so we kind of sauntered into that later. But over time, we started to build relationship with them and, and started to, to feel something of those seeds that had been planted grow in our hearts. And that was in 2007, 2008. A few years later, I was climbing the corporate ladder, relocated from Century City up to Centurion and Gauteng. And people still ask, like, why on earth did you do that? I don't know. We went on a five-year plan. We are going to make a lot of money and then come back and actually buy a house in Cape Town. And we're 13 years into the five-year plan. And things have changed a little bit. Because in 2016, I found myself leaving the corporate space to join the church staff. And then a few years after being on a church staff, COVID came along, and in that journey God poured a little bit of water on a seed that had been planted there and something began to grow in our hearts. And in February of twenty twenty two, we planted a church into Centurion called Free Church. So my story has been an incredible story of I don't know what God is gonna do next. But I do know this that there are moments when seeds are planted in hearts. And then there are moments when the conditions become right and the Holy Spirit comes and waters something and suddenly something begins to grow. And sometimes you forget that those seeds have been planted there. And and I'm here today, if only to tell you this, is, is he can take me from a dairy farm at KZN through brokenness and pornography and alcohol to live in Century City, to climb the corporate ladder, to move city to Joburg, to connect me into a church community, to move me from the back row to the front row, to get involved in church, to be on church staff, to plant a church, to be all the way back here 16 years later to tell you this your life your life not the person next to you not the one in front of you your life is a seedbed for seeds of the kingdom of heaven and jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that a man took and planted in a field and though it's a mustard seed and the smallest of all the seeds it begins to grow, and it grows into the biggest of the garden plants. And then the birds of the air come, and they find shelter, and they, they find a place of refuge in it. And this is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. What's happening in this moment is seeds are being planted in your heart, or, or maybe the conditions and the timing is, is coming right, and something is happening, and something will begin to grow. But it takes time, and it's a process. And often in our faith journey, we just want Jesus to fix our problems. Now we come to faith and praise you, Jesus. You're going to sort everything out. Let me tell you something. When you start to follow Jesus, like, your problems begin. Like, you thought you had problems before. You start to follow Jesus long enough, everything that happened to him is going to happen to you. And suddenly, it doesn't sound like so much fun anymore. But it is the best thing in the world. And God has messed me up this weekend, so I have my yellow socks, and I got a bunch of tissues in my pocket because after men's camp, like I don't know, God has wrecked me. And just, tears just keep coming out my heart, like out of my heart, <laughs> out my eyes. Mm-hmm. I, I want to tell you, I love Jesus so much, and I've fallen in love with the local church, and I'm so excited. Whether there's ten people in the room or a thousand people in the room, God is here. He's doing things. And I, I, just, I just want to encourage you, again, I'm going to keep saying this, that your life is a seedbed for seeds of the kingdom of heaven. And I want to tell you a story today just to open up a scripture before you, which is sometimes you read in the pages of the Bible like things that you... Um, you know, you, you kind of go, well, let's move on and find something more encouraging because this one's feeling me, like making me feel a little, you know, those ones that kind of go, like these people are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And you're like, oh, it feels like me. Let's skip over to something a bit more like life-giving and encouraging. There can be some difficult passages in Scripture and, and I want to, yeah, some of you know the passages I'm talking about. I see like, yeah, I've read some of those. Or there's some that, that just get completely misquoted at you and you've got some friends and they've said to you, hey, did you know that the Bible says, and you fill in the blank and, and you, you're not quite sure if it actually says that. So I want to I break open a passage to you, with you today, which is one of these difficult passages. And the reason why I want to do this is I want to show you how this is a seed that gets planted that actually breaks a world system. Because this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a seed that's planted in a field. That when the conditions are right and the Holy Spirit comes, it begins to grow. And as it grows, it changes the atmosphere, it changes the landscape, and it becomes a place of refuge. And for some of you, you're going to look back on this day, 16 years from now, and you're going to have a story that's that's similar to mine. And it might not be planting church, it might not be moving city, but it's going to have something to do with building people. Some of you are wondering, which scripture could this be? So so here we go. If you've ever been to marriage counseling before, pre-marriage counseling, this is it. You would know this passage as the wives submit to your husbands one. If you've never opened your Bible before, this is what you might think that people who follow Jesus believe about marriage. And there's some some things in here. So let's read a couple of verses. Chapter 5 in Ephesians verse 21. Paul writes, "...submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything." Has anyone heard this before? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her just to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Can, can I just say, say something here? Like, this is, this is known as the wives, submit to your husband's passage. There are one, two, three verses written to the wives, and then there are eight written to the husbands this is actually a passage to your husbands where the wives get a mention but the headline is wives submit to your husbands and then he goes on and he says some other difficult things which we sometimes ignore he starts to talk about children and parents uh, let's pick up in verse six verse one Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And parents in the room are like, yes, the Bible says you kids must obey me as your parent. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Sometimes that's tricky because some of you in the room go, it's very difficult for me to honor my father and mother because they, like, they did some stuff or they didn't do some stuff. So I don't know how to honor my parents. So I'm just gonna skip over that part. Find something else. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I'm a dad. I don't feel like I exasperate my kids. I feel like my kids exasperate me. <laughs> Especially on Saturday mornings where there's nothing to get up for. And you drag them out of bed like at, at, at 6 a.m. Monday through Friday and you get to Saturday and you like, guys sleep in. And at 5 o'clock they're all awake. I'm like, ah, being a parent is hard. And Paul says, don't exasperate your children. I, I think you might have that the wrong way around. And then in verse 5, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to, to win their favor, win their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart and serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. And you read this and you're kind of like, what is he doing? Like, Why doesn't he just say, hey, slavery is wrong? It's almost like if you read it, you you could almost find a justification. And this has been done over time. People have used these passages to go, hey, slavery is in the Bible, so it's Okay. And I want to show you today just briefly in this very difficult, sometimes misinterpreted, often misquoted and misused passage of what is actually going on here. And to understand this, you have to know who Paul is writing to. In fact, he's writing to you because he's writing to a Gentile church who are a people who've committed to follow Jesus in their lives. He's just writing to it in a different location, in a different time, but still applicable to you. So don't read this as if, well, this is not to me because, you know, I'm not married, I don't have kids, and I don't have any slaves. So he can't be talking to me. I want to let you know what he's talking to is people who follow Jesus, and what he's addressing is the closest relationships in your life that you have and how to live in them. And the reason why he's doing it, and he's doing it in this way, is because he's writing into a culture, into a city that was extremely patriarchal. He's writing into the Greco-Roman culture where Aristotle said that women are disdained. In fact, they are nothing, they are worse than nothing. And, and the normal way of society is that the husband was the public figure, the wife would be at home raising the kids and managing the family. She didn't have a voice, she didn't have rights, she was actually a possession and a property of the husband. And there, there was a, a, a kind of, a days it, was, it went something like this. Wives are for heirs and prostitutes are pleasure. That's normal, that's how it was. There was no mutual relationship. There was no friendship between husband and wife. It was purely a function. And when it came to parenting, well, the father in the house had absolute power and control over his kids. And if a young girl was born, the father had the right to decide, does he want her or not? And if he didn't, he could leave her outside, exposed to the elements, and that was the end of her life. And they were big on education and training, but it was completely outsourced. Somebody else would do the training of the children. There was no relationship between parents and children. So they loved to get them trained, but it was someone else's responsibility to, let me use the church word, disciple them. Well, I want my kids to be trained up, but someone else is going to do the training of them. And this thing of slaves and masters 60 million people in the Roman Empire were slaves, one third of all the, of the population were slaves. And it's a little bit different to the idea of slavery that we might have. It's this idea of being a bond servant. And what would happen is if someone couldn't pay a debt is they would submit themselves willingly into slavery to work for years and years and years until they could save up to buy their freedom or to pay off the debt. Or they were captured as prisoners of war and, and forced into slavery. It's like, you choose. Either you be a slave or we kill you. So it's kind of this forced moment, but there was a progression that they could find their way out. It doesn't mean it's a justification for slavery. It's just helpful to understand the context of what we go, what's going on here. So Paul is writing this letter to you through the lenses of something that happened 2,000 years ago in in the province of Asia Minor into this society where there's there's absolute power with the man. Like he's the authority figure. He's in control. And what Paul does here is he takes this well-known, misquoted, often misused passage. And when you start to dig into it, you see he's actually designed this as a masterstroke to plant a seed of the gospel into the closest relationships that when it begins to grow, it breaks the system from the inside out. And this is how he does it. He mentions husbands and wives. And the people reading that would have been like, what? Why is he writing about my wife in here? He should just be writing the letter to me. And then he mentions parents and children. And children didn't have a personhood then. They would like literally be seen and not heard. In fact, not be seen at all. And then he writes to masters, and slaves and the readers of this letter would have their heads would have been spinning like why is this guy writing to wives children and slaves why isn't he just talking to the, the husband the father and the master the head of the house but he doesn't only do that if you read it carefully he addresses first the wife and then the husband I don't know if you ever remember like some do some of you remember what letters are anyone no, what, what, two people, three people in the room. Amazing. So these are like papers that you write to each other. You put a address on them and send it like through the post office. And the way that the letter is written, like the letters that came to my parents would say, Mr. and Mrs. John Nicholson. And I always thought that my mom's name is not John. Mr. and Mrs. John Nicholson. This is, this is why the people that saw this would have been like, what is going on in this moment? So, but then he addresses first the wife and then the husband. First the child and then the parent. First the slave and then the master. What he's doing is he's using the Greek household code, flipping it on its head, and he's planting a seed of the gospel and saying, Guys, if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus in a society is that is like this, it looks to be completely countercultural. And you do it where? Not out there, but in your closest relationships so life changes church if we the church we want to see city change it's not going to start out there it's going to start in your closest relationships and and he's saying this is how it's framed the whole passage actually is hinged off 521 which says submit to one another out of reverence for christ it's a mutual submission without hierarchy it means this it means that i submit to you and you submit to me i love you and you love me i respect you and you respect me It's not one half without the other. It's a a mutuality. That's what Paul's getting at. And you do it, not because these are rules to be kept, but you do it because of who Jesus is. And when he's Lord of your life and you look at how he comes and loves the church and serves the church and, and honors people, what Paul is doing, he say, let's take the marginalized, the oppressed, those who don't have a voice and let's raise them up and let's put them as equals because why? The ground is level at the cross. And there's not there's not room for preference and prejudice in the local church. There's not room. Is there structure and governance and authority? Absolutely. But is there superiority? No. Are any of us better than anyone else? No, the ground is level at the, at the cross. And he's saying, if you want to see change in your city, it starts in your closest relationships to get a hold of this. So some of you in the room, some of you are married, so here's some, some marriage advice. You can do this as a practical experiment. For the next 30 days, ask your spouse, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? I see a, a little bit of nudging going on there between <laughs> some of you. Could you imagine what your household would be if, if there was a little bit of give instead of just take? If, if there was a little bit of like, hey, let me submit to you, my wife, and let me submit to you, my husband. What can I do to serve you Today? What can I do to make your life easy? Because this is a picture of Jesus. This is how, he's the one who comes to serve, who comes to wash his disciples' feet, the one who gives up heaven to come and walk with us on the earth. How can I serve you today? And parents, current and future parents, here, here's some parenting advice for you out of what Paul says is don't exasperate your children. What he actually means, like let, my paraphrase of this, is it's your responsibility to disciple your kids. Don't miss the moments. Parents, it's your responsibility, not Life Changes Kids Team responsibility, not the youth team's responsibility. It's your responsibility to disciple your kids and to give them a vision of God and to, to, to paint them a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus with everything you had. Because if they don't catch it from you, they're going to get another vision from where? From the culture in which they live. And for those of you that are in the room, I'm not able to honor my parents because they messed me up when I was a kid. What if you changed your perspective and said, what if I wrote a letter to them and thanked them for the stuff that they did right? And when you become a parent, you suddenly see that parenting is not so easy. And that you're broken people. It's very humbling to realize that the be- like your, your best moments and your worst moments, your kids have front row seats on that, and you realize that we are, the ground is equal. It's level at the cross. And parents and kids are both, are both broken humans trying their best to follow Jesus. So grace comes into it. Yeah. And slaves and masters, you're going, well, I, I don't have any slaves, but, but manager at work, it feels like a slave driver, so I, I think I feel more like a slave than a master. But, but really, we could think of it like this. This is like what the workplace looks like when the Holy Spirit is in your heart. Is when you are in power over people is to be kind to them and to treat them as equals, not interchangeable, but as equals. Value, they have a voice and a personhood. And when you're, when you're under the power or authority of someone at work and, and that manager, that boss that you're thinking about, and, and I know there's not many life changing staff here today, so VP, you're in the clear for this one. No one's thinking that about, about you, but, but in your workplace and out there, you're like, this guy, he, he just drives me nuts. This is what Paul says. This is how to do it. This is how to operate in your work environment, is do your work as if you're working for Jesus, yeah, Paul, not for your manager. Yeah. So forget about your manager for a moment. And see it through the lenses of everything I do, I do it for Jesus. And maybe the manager that you have right now is just someone that God's using in your life to form and shape you. And God just wants to teach you some things. And you're going like, when can I get out of this place? And I think God's waiting on silence to say, when are you going to learn the lesson that I want you to learn? Because when you learn the lesson, then I will move you on. But until you learn the lesson, man, I'm going to take you into another job and you're going to find a manager with a different name that has the same characteristics. It's something that needs to be shaped in your character. So Paul, what what he does, and this is why, this is why, people, when you read your Bibles, some of you, you don't read your Bibles when you start, because today you're going to start, because God's planting a seed in your heart. I'm I'm prophesying it over you. I'm telling you, you're going to go home. And you say, like, hey, there's more in this thing. The more that you dig, the more you find. You find revelation. It starts to break open. It comes alive in you. And and here's, you you can take this to the bank of life. Is is when you read the Bible, never read verse by verse and stop there. Read chapter by chapter and understand the story and who's, who's writing it and who's going to. The, the most important thing is context. Because when you take this passage and you misuse it, what happens is the oppression of women, the abuse of children. And the slave trade was justified out of these very same verses. And sometimes we get it so wrong because we miss the bigness of what, we, what, what God is trying to do. So Paul, he's not bringing in like, this is what it looks like to run a religious household. He's saying, this is what it looks like when a seed of the gospel is planted into people's hearts and begins to grow. And the society and a system is changed from the inside out. Because 300 years later, Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire. And you wonder, well, but why has he got that slavery thing in there? Why didn't he just say slavery is wrong? and it's because this is what the kingdom is like the kingdom is like a small mustard seed that a, a man takes and, and he plants in a field and over time it begins to grow so when he wrote this the church was small in the context of, of the roman empire it didn't have the influence and ability to take on a world system that could crush it in a heartbeat so he says well this is the way to do it is to plant a seed that begins to grow over time and it's kind of subversive. But over time when the conditions are right and when the hearts are soft and the water of the Holy Spirit comes, something's gonna begin to grow. Yeah. And when it begins to grow, nothing's gonna stop it. And it's gonna take time. But it's gonna change the landscape. Yeah. It's gonna change the atmosphere. Yeah. So let me close with this and if you guys want to come up and and, and and join me on the on the on the keys, and I think for for some of you in the room, there there've been seeds that have been that have been planted that have been lying dormant in your hearts. And maybe some of you in the room, you 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 feel like there's been a little bit of growth, but it's been overcome by the weeds of life, and there's just a busyness, and, and you're not sure what's what's good and what's bad in there anymore. But I believe. That this, this is a moment where the Holy Spirit is just going to come in and pour like a supernatural, almost like a, what would you say, like a heavenly fertilizer. It sounds a bit weird, but just find those seeds and, and something is going to sprout in your hearts. And it's not going to be for someone else to do out there. It's not going to be far away. It's going to be in your closest relationships. When you open your heart, and that, that speaks of a softness of soil, when there's a humility that comes, you say, oh, Holy Spirit, I want to make room for you in my life, and the seed can begin to take root, something is going to start to grow, and it's going to shift. Yeah. And some of you, you're in the room, and you feel like you've been oppressed, and you feel like, I feel like that wife, or, or I feel like a husband's been oppressed by my wife, or, or oppressed by my parents, or... My kids exasperate me or there's this manager at work or or whatever it is and you feel like in a possible situation do do you know that the the potential is in the seed and you might have seen pictures like this where a seed is planted and falls into a little crevice in a rock and it just finds a, a little bit of soil a little bit of water And it starts to grow and then a little bit more a little bit more and over time it shatters the boulder and this is a picture of the gospel coming into a world system and if you're honest what paul describes or where he writes into in that greek roman city of ephesus it's not too different from the city of cape town it's not too different from the city of centurion and when gospel seeds fall into the most difficult of places and find a little bit of soil that's a picture of the local church. That's a picture of community. Yeah. So when the seed that God plants in your, in your heart is in a small environment, the local church and the Holy Spirit comes with a bit of water, something starts to grow. And in that seed is the potential to shatter boulders, boulders of oppression, boulders of inequality, boulders of world systems that are just about like putting others down and, and lifting ourselves up. This is the power of the gospel. And you know what? Your life is a seedbed for seeds of the kingdom. And you don't have to do the growing because it's God that brings the growth. The power and the potential is in the seed of the word of God. And today what's happening is seeds are being planted in your hearts. And over the years to come, these things are gonna start to grow. And you're gonna look back on this moment, say something shifted in me, my perspective, my thoughts, the way I saw things. Something happened in that moment. And you surround yourself in the community, in the local church, and you invite the Holy Spirit into your heart, and suddenly something starts to sprout. Your life is a seedbed for the kingdom of heaven, and God wants to plant seeds in your heart that are going to grow to subvert the culture of the world system, a culture of dominance and oppression, of marginalization, because the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that a man plants in a field. No, it's the smallest of the seeds. It grows up into a tree in which the birds of the air come and find shelter that's a picture of your life and the invitation for you is to say well will I receive that will I put it into my heart will I water it with the Holy Spirit and make sure that I stay in the context of local community and maybe in five years from now ten years from now 25 years from now you're gonna look at the tree that your life has become and the people that have been impacted by the change and it starts in a moment like this with the, open, the openness openness say God use me I never saw it coming and if God can do something like this with me, imagine what He can do with you. Would you stand and love to pray for you? And I ask you to close your eyes for a moment. And if this word is something that is resonating with you, with no one, no one moving around or worried about the people next to you, just, just close your eyes and, and open your hands. Just as a sign of, of saying, hey, I, I want to receive this word. God, do you see the open hands in this room? It's just a, a picture for me, a beautiful picture of open hearts. Sometimes we say we open our hands as a sign of what's going on in our hearts. And I pray that the seeds of the gospel will take root in people's hearts today. We don't have to worry about having it all figured out and having all the answers. All we need to do is open our hands, which shows of an open heart, and say, by the power and person of the Holy Spirit, would you plant something in my heart today which is going to grow into an incredible tree that is going to change the landscape and the atmosphere of the city, that is going to have the power to break boulders, that is going to raise people up, that is going to change my marriage, it's going to change my parenting, it's going to set up the future generations, it's going to break the world system of oppression, it's going to change my workplace. Would you come Holy Spirit? Come Holy Spirit.